It has just so worked out that the Lord has been able to uh, bring Ken into the house here. I think this is his third time that he's been with us. And it has been such a tremendous honor. The first time that he came last December, I asked him, I just working out the schedule and, and he said this, he said, listen, he says, I'm a thoroughbred and I don't wanna be locked up in some hotel. He says, I wanna be with your people and I wanna be with you every minute that I'm here. So he arrived literally from the time that he arrived Thursday afternoon. He has not had one second to himself, poor guy. He spent four hours with the staff on Thursday went straight from that time into teaching and leading our uh, life group leaders on Thursday night. Uh, after the life group leader meeting ended at about 9.30, we went over and had dinner with about five other guys till about 11.30 at night. And then together all day pouring into me on Friday, speaking into Nexus and to the young adults on Friday night, uh, hanging out with Dan till about 11.30 at night after that with ITI all day yesterday. Uh, and then after that, spending some time into the late hours with a handful of men here from the house and then now ministering to us. And then after this, he'll be speaking into uh, Antioch Global Missions uh, at 2.30. So uh, I just took him at his word. I said, listen, if you, you say you're a thoroughbred, I'm gonna put you, I'm gonna put you to the test here. And uh, he has shown fortitude, he has shown grace, but more importantly, he has shown the heart of a father and a grandfather, and he has just poured out. He has just filled his light heart up, and he has poured his heart out to uh, all those different pockets of people, and now what an honor it is for him to be able to speak here uh, to the family today. So without taking any more time, uh, I wanna invite uh, Ken Gill to come on up here and... Uh, speak into uh, Antioch, speak to our present, speak to our future, and speak to the very DNA of who we are. Let's give Ken Gill a hand this morning. Good morning. Am I on? Why don't you just call me Secretariat? Joyce suggested that. <laughs> what I meant is I'm not a professional minister. I'm a father in the kingdom. And so those days of that professional era, if they're not dying, they're quickly coming to an end so that the body of Christ might be built up and that fathers and sons might come together to see the greatest awakening that the North American world has ever witnessed because it is a relational awakening. And it's something that we don't have a grid for. It's something that we're not gonna be able to reflect historically. The church is in the position of making history as we speak. A number of years ago, I had to make a decision. I had some people say to me, Ken, so is one of your desires to be a history maker? I said, you want to make it or write it? And I said, you have to make a decision there, don't you? Do you want to make history? Do you want to write history? So I've chosen to try to make it and let somebody else write it because that's the season we're in. Right up here on the side where you have um, uh, the word awaken, I believe that is exactly what God is doing. We have enjoyed revivals, and I thank God for them. We have enjoyed renewal. And one of the traps we're in right now, still in the North American church, is we're trying to make that renewal season last. 
We haven't had the discernment to allow the cloud to pass, whether it be a cloud of fire by night or a cloud by day. We must allow God to do what he does. And he's a God of times and seasons. Is that not true? And as a result of that, we need to discern the times and seasons that we're in. Enjoy the ones that God's bringing to us, but be prepared. For instance, summer has just ended. Is that not true? And we have now shifted into the fall season. Is that correct? What has happened to the temperatures? The temperature has dropped, hasn't it? And it will drop even further until spring comes and the temperature rises. And then as spring fades away, we move into summer and the temperature really rises. And uh, we, uh, we get to put, take off our coats and we get to put on our, our, our short sleeve shirts and all these kinds of things and be a uh, walk with God in these, in these days. Um, just want to take, take my time and be deliberate this morning with, I want to share something that I've not shared before in my life. Uh, maybe some concepts in different aspects, but not in a public message. I believe that I'm to conclude this message with a prophetic act. I believe that this house is an apostolic center after the order of Christ that should be led apostolically and prophetically influenced. And together with those two major gifts, we'll release a new kind, a new breed of evangelist. And we'll see a brand new teacher and shepherd come forth like we've not seen in present history. As soon as apostolic and prophetic leaders become mainline, after the heart of God, not false, not immature, but pure, after the heart of the Father, and disciplined by God so that we can stand before his people and help the people of such a broken time in North American history find our way into the future that God has for us as his people. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor every time to stand in front of God's people. It's an honor to open the word of God. It's an honor to be here, and I, I thank God for the opportunity of meeting Jade, and then meeting Christy, then meeting you. In the years of leadership training, I've tried to help people that I'm trying to help form to create some new attitudes in their life about the way they think about the future. One of the things that I would say to every leadership class, every training, every fourth-year student in college for ministry, I would try to help them to understand that some of the best friends you've ever had in life, you've not yet met. And sometimes we, we get caught in all the things that are of the past. We thank God for the past. I think that was my message here the last time to you, that the Father wanted you to take that which was in the past and bring it into the present and together that it might lead you into your future. And the Lord was saying, it was time for Antioch Church to tend your gardens. My message was that you were to tend the garden of your future and allow God to take and unfold what he had done. Bring it into the present of what he is now doing. But bring up people together in this house 
that there be an unusual coming together so that you might walk into your future, a future that none of us know what it's like. That's the joy of walking with God. We really don't know what's out there, but we know that there's something beautiful that God has for you corporately, and he has something beautiful for you individually. Last week, I was minding my own business. Do you ever sit around minding your own business? Anybody ever do that? (laughs) And God comes and interrupts your thought. So Jade and I have been talking about coming. We're talking about next month. I'm going to bring a friend here to meet you. His name is John Alley, the wonderful Australian brother, a seasoned servant of the Lord. He walks in a grace that I have not ever experienced in my life and ministry. He's a beautiful brother. And he's going to be here with us together. And my wife's coming. So you get a chance to meet my, my bride. So that will be, um, that will be uh, an honor for you, won't it? I'm just kidding. But Sharon and I, we were just married 40 years uh, a couple months ago. She was six and I was seven when we got married. I've been trying to talk Milan into sharing some of her hair with me. By the way, today's Milan's seventh birthday. And I've been trying to get some of that beautiful red hair and put it on the top. So I'm sorry if there's a glare this morning. I was kneeling at the altar a number of years ago and I was kneeling like this and my youngest daughter, I was in prayer and my little girl comes up, she sits here and she waits for me. I'm seeking God and whatnot and finally she couldn't handle it anymore. She taps me on the shoulder and I look up, I say, yes, Ashley. She said, dad, you need to know you're going bald. So I've been going that way for a long time. I've asked the Lord if he would allow me to have a head of hair till at least 75. What do you think about that? Like I'm jealous of that guy's head of hair. Would you lay hands on me after? Okay. So I was minding my own business and just uh, wasn't thinking about here, wasn't thinking about anything. I was just minding my own business. The Spirit of the Lord said to me, when you go to Colorado Springs next week, he said, I have a message for you to bring to the people. So I said, okay, Lord, what is it? He said, I want you to talk to them about apostolic entrustment. Now, I've never used that phrase until he put it into my, my mind. Something unusual that God wants to do in this house between the people and the leaders of this ministry. I believe that you have, as your leader, an emerging apostolic leader in the nation of America. I believe that Jade and his wife Christy, in the presence of God, he sees them as emerging apostles. And as a result of that, When a house is led by an apostolic leader, there is a uniqueness of anointing. There's a uniqueness of calling. 
Jade may feel a little awkward this morning as I speak like this. But I shared with him what I felt God had given me to share with you. I've met with almost every leadership group and in part or in parcel, I've talked a little bit about this throughout the weekend. I believe in my heart that God wants to raise the trust factor in this congregation. I believe that your future will unfold like a flag in the wind as the trust levels increase in this house. Trust between one another. Trust in your marriages. That God has some deep pockets of trust for us to plumb as a people. In order to plumb those deep pockets, it means alignment with what the Word of God says. Alignment gives me that ability to plumb and to extract and to extrapolate from the Word of God things that I can apply to my life, to my family, to the marketplace, to business enterprise. As the Lord was talking to me about this, he took me, of course, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If it's possible for the people in the uh, realm of technology here today to put up on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. and say, why would you talk about trust this morning and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Well, that's the reason why I'm going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. My voice is weak, but I'm going to do my best. Is that okay? It's good because it'll help slow me down. So I won't win this race as secretariat. Verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. You notice the progression. It says there, I am nothing, I gain nothing. Then it goes into this description that many brides want at their weddings. It's on many marriage programs. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 6, through to the end of verse number 8. We usually uh, talk about this a lot, talk about this a lot, Uh, about the love portion that's found in God's Word. Let's go uh, down to uh, verse number 13. It says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I'd like to go back up to verse number 4. It says here, Love is patient, and love is kind. 
And if we are going to model something to a broken, abused, downtrodden, abandoned society, there's no way that we can make progress without this at the core of who we are. By the way, if you happen to agree with something this morning and you want to say amen, that, that's okay. All right? Then I'm not, I'm not intimidated by that. I, I welcome that. It says something else about love. Love does not envy. The difference between envy and jealousy is this. Jealousy is cruel. Envy is competitive. So when a person is really in love with someone or something, they're not trying to compete with that thing. The Bible says something about envy in the book of Proverbs. When envy has its perfect work, it brings rottenness to the bones. So what envy does, it eats away at the structure and the fabric of what everything that love stands for. That is why under the authority of the Holy Spirit, the apostle is writing this. He's saying, love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Wow. When I read that, you know, it's one thing to be standing up here today, but really my posture should be like somewhere underneath the carpet understanding that I need to walk in a humility of the Spirit so that I can even have a chance of producing that kind of love. Imagine we take that into our marriage. So Cher and I have been friends for 44 years, married for 40, and I say love is patient. Love is being patient with your wife, with your husband. Love is being kind all the time. Kindness is the disposition of the people of God. Is that not true? Don't you love the kindness of God? I heard somebody saying up here this morning, God is good. God is good. He's just so good. Maybe it was you, Sarah, talking about the goodness of God in our world. Well, God is good. And from his goodness flows his kindness. Isn't that exciting? And he wants us to be kind all the time. What do you think about that? Can you imagine us as a New Testament church operating in a kindness that love produces? And we begin to reflect the nature and character of God in everywhere that we go. The scripture goes on and says it doesn't boast, it's not proud. Look at this one. Love is not rude. Wow. Wow. Love is not self-seeking. You can say wow at any time you'd like to. You're like, wow, you know. Why don't, let's say wow backwards. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. It's a great group here. It's not self-seeking. Not self-seeking. How about this one? Love is not easily angered. Let me try that one more time. I just did a mime thing. You know what a mime does when they want to change out of one into another? Let's try that again. Let's try it. Love is not easily angered. 
probably something that sets back the church from its preferred future is hidden anger. Whenever we perceive danger, anger comes alive. Spell danger for me. The very word anger is the root of the word danger. And whenever we sense danger of losing something or something not going right, it produces a, an anger or a danger or an anxiety. It has the potential of producing an anger. We don't, if things do not go our own way, if we can no longer control the atmosphere and the circumstances we're in, many times we perceive it's dangerous. I'm insecure. So what comes out of us is a, many times an unbridled emotion called anger. And when anger is not harnessed, it then turns into rage. We both know that anger is an emotion that God has given to all of us. But when it is not harnessed by the Holy Spirit, it becomes a work of the flesh that instead of building and helping and preserving, it destroys and then rage rises up. And now we're living in a culture where we talk about road rage and rageaholics. How many have heard that? Well, where is it coming from? We don't understand love at its core, which produces something that is not easily angered. My confession, can I talk to you? I'm a guy that I had a, such a violent temper. Athletically, I had to win. Winning, if you don't win, it produces some kind, some form of anger on the inside. If you're not first and you have to be second, it produces something, you know. And what, you know, all that happens. And I had to have a confrontation with God and literally meet God in a hockey dressing room, literally, can I call it what it was? In a change room. Can you say change room? I just lost my temper, lost my cool. The whole aunt, not proud of what I'm telling you. I got in, I literally, I got in, sat down on the bench. When you have skates on, your feet are up higher because of the height of skates. And you can lean your, your shoulders, uh, your elbows on, like on like that because they're up higher. And I bent my head down in that uh, hockey dressing room and I said, God, if you do not deliver me from this deep-rooted anger and a violent temper, I am going to end up in jail. That's what I told them. God, I can't leave this dressing room until you set me free. Serious. Two and a half hours. Everybody's gone. And my girlfriend, whom I could have never married, because I would have destroyed her. Because of my selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. Easily angered. Till God, till God came. It was like, all of a sudden, something happened. I don't know what he did. He must have taken his finger put it somewhere inside my disposition. Because it's been over 30 years since I've lost my temper. 
Because he came and did something for me that I could not do for myself. It's called transformation. He came to put his finger on something that he knew that I could never be with you here this morning. And I could not do what I was, what I was being called to do, to function apostolically as a father in the kingdom and not having wrestled that to the ground. I could never even be a son because I'd always be angry with authority. No, I'd never, I'd never, never, it would never really work because if God doesn't set us free from the things that bind us, how do we get to our future? Love is not easily angered. Can we say that together? Why is it that we as husbands give ourselves permission to get angry with our wives so easily? It's because we've crossed over the line to the place in that relationship that we take that person for granted and we think because she's the closest, she will understand so we can unload and vice versa. Well, I think the scripture calls us to another level. Does that bear witness with anybody here? You know, the bottom line, the word of God comes on. It goes on to say, it says, let's not self-seek, it's not easily angered. Here's one. Love keeps no records of wrong. Can somebody shout out, hello? hello. Can we go, hello, hello? I hear you can, but I don't get it. Let's say that together slowly. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Most of us have a list of all the wrongs that have come our way. I have a good friend who owned a business. And he, he would keep a record on all of his employees. Every time late, all he kept, kept records on everything. And I, I say, What's, what joy is there in that? Well, you know, Kenny, he said, what well, comes to time, he's a businessman. You got to be able to have the facts and all that kind of stuff. He said, yeah, you're a Christian businessman. You live and operate by the word of God. Why don't you bring your staff member in and sit them down and talk to them instead of writing down and keeping a record? What's happened to this face-to-face -face encounter thing that God desires from his people? He doesn't want us seeking his hand or seeking his mind. He wants us seeking his face. Is that not true? So we come face-to-face -face as men. We don't talk about one another behind the back. We come, if I have an issue with you, let's sit down, let's have coffee, and we speak face to face. As a man speaks to God. Isn't that beautiful? That is why the psalmist writes that we're to seek the face of God. And we're to be involved in a face-to-face -face relationship with an invisible, intimate God. And he's just wanting me to get in his face because he wants to get in my face. You know, in a real good way. You know, sometimes I'm just going to get in your face. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about David 
can we have coffee and some things I need to talk to you about? And your answer is, yeah. So I don't go to Dan to talk about David. Because automatically I've created triangulation in the house of God. And triangulation leads to strangulation. And that strangulates everything that we are and everything that God desires for the body of Christ to become. And somebody's got to stand up and stand on their watch and say, enough is enough is enough is enough. Right? Somebody. Would somebody please speak up? So I, I'll do that today. Just helping anybody? We haven't got to where we're supposed to go yet. This is just the building blocks. Can you say I'm ready? So a Holy Spirit's allowed to work that in us. Keeps no record of wrongs. Here's another one. Love does not delight in evil. But love rejoices with the truth. We need to sometimes be really honest on that one and think about when we hear about somebody morally failing or making a mistake or a church goes through a, a division or a difficult time, sometimes secretly we're rejoicing or sometimes we say, I knew there was something wrong with that woman. I knew there was something not really right with that man. Come on. And so all of a sudden, yeah, what's happened now just justified my sin. I wonder if we ever thought of going to that person or seeking the face of God for transformation in what we think we perceived in that person's life. Come on. Do you know how I live my life? No confrontation, no transformation. And we live in a culture that hates confrontation. We will do everything. We'll drive blocks to get around confrontation. We now have finely tuned the art of democratic compromise that really goes nowhere but lasts for a season until I have to make another compromise. My mom said to me as a boy, she said, son, remember, if you compromise, you'll never win. What a word from a godly mother. But democracy produces that. The kingdom doesn't. That's our clashes. They're the clashes that we're in. So I, I live this way. Constant confrontation. Constant transformation. Say, what do you mean by that? Let's go to God and myself. Every time I confront God and He confronts me, from the day I was born again, I was confronted with my need for salvation because I was a sinner. He confronted me with my need for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I needed healing in my body and I was confronted with the healer and the healer healed my body. Confrontation is not just in the negative sense. It's in every sense of life. It's necessary. My wife sometimes when I'm talking, if I'm talking like this and I get distracted, go ahead. She takes my cheek and she does this. Did your wife ever do that to you? You know, we're all easily distracted. She said, no, no, I'm over here. She says, I'm over here. Because we're always getting sidetracked. And the wife is saying, no, I'm here. Please talk to me now face to face. Come on, help me out. Help me out. Because they're wanting, they're, wanting they're wanting our full attention. Because they don't think 
we're really listening to them. Now today, more than ever, with the, with the iPhone and all the phones, hallelujah on distraction, right? Like everybody's distracted all the time. Isn't that not true? You know, you travel in an airport, and I, I'm in quite a few of them, and I'm, there's not a soul that I, I'm with that doesn't have some kind of device. Is that not true? So there's something we really have to work against in modern culture, and that it's going to interrupt our relationships. And so Cheryl just says to me, you know, there's no phone in the room. There's nothing in the room. We just sit down and we speak face to face as a man speaks to God. Isn't that wonderful? Could you imagine what would happen in the church if we operated that way? If there was such relational health that we could operate that way. And that we would not be easily offended. You know that Bill Johnson down in Redding, California and their eldership team and their congregation made a statement in the spirit realm. They wanted to declare that Redding, California would be a cancer-free zone. Is that, how many understand? Does anybody heard that? Wave at me if you've heard that. Well, a number of years ago when we were planting our church eight years ago, when I was working with the Lord and asking God, for the foundation stones of our house, which now has become a local church, become a stream of churches, become a network of churches, which I wasn't planning at all. I had no plans for that. It's like God surprised me. He said, you just walk with me and this is what I'm going to do. And so, but uh, you know, I'm there. We're laying foundation stones. We're working together as a group of about 20 to lay down what we felt were the foundation stones of an apostolic future. So we laid one, we laid two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. About, we got about 20 of them. That was chapter one. Then we moved on to foundation stones as, as it involved in ministry from our body. And uh, so as I was waiting on God and saying, God, what is it that you want to do through this thing that you're birthing that we had no plans for? And he said, I want you to declare at the opening and the birthing of this church, that this will be a people, I want you to declare that this will be an offense-free zone. I didn't know about the cancer in Reading. All that I knew about was God was saying, son, I want you to know me away in a way. I want you to not live with offense in your heart towards anyone want you to keep short accounts. I want you to walk with me and you live on a friend's free life. And I went back to the words of my father. My father taught me in Psalm 119 and 165 says, great peace have they which love the word of God and nothing will offend them. Can you believe it? It's in the word. And I believe that there's something in this house that God is building that would similarly absolutely penetrate and seep into the loins of this ministry. What do you think? Anybody interested in that? Well, let me tell you, you'll be tested at every turn. Come on, help me out. Can you say back to me several times a day? 
Because we, we have to choose whether or not we're going to be offended, right? Help me, help me. You know, as a pastor, man, I've offended so many people I didn't even know. They don't like my shirt. They didn't like my ties, so I stopped wearing them. That's a joke. But you know what? If I said it, if I had the inflection the wrong way and I offended somebody here, you know, everybody's coming in this room today, a couple of hundred of you coming from all different backgrounds. And it's so easily to take offense with something. And I'm Canadian. You could be offended that I'm even here. <laughs> but I want to tell you, I'm not offended when you come to my city. Because I love America. I love your country. I love your flag. And I pray for your president all the time. Do you? Or do you have prejudice in your heart because you don't like him? You're offended by some stuff he's done. It doesn't take away the privilege of praying for those that are in authority over us. Come on. Come on. We have access to the White House. On our knees. Come on. Is that not true? Can somebody say we have access? And then we need to raise up a bunch of young adults and men and women here that will become sons that will send into the government. And they'll know why they're there. They'll know why they've been raised up. They'll know what the mandate is upon their life. They'll understand that they are sent there by God. We'll understand those kinds of things. I haven't got to where I'm going yet, but I'm coming. Can you say he's coming? So about nine days ago, this is what the Lord said to me. He says, you go down to the people of Antioch, you tell them that love always protects. I don't know what God's going to do with this, but I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to write upon your own words. Holy Spirit, write upon your own inspiration. Holy Spirit, take the truth that you brought to the church at Corinth and let it ride into everyone's heart in this room. Manifest yourself in this room by the power of the Spirit. And this is what God did, like a neon sign in my spirit. He said to me, Can love always trust? And I believe that in the spirit realm, God wants to create some form of apostolic entrustment. I believe today, as I, I have in my pocket, as I spoke at Nexus the other day, Dan gave me a Nexus card. So I, anybody got a Nexus card? If you haven't got a Nexus card, but I said to Dan, no big deal, I got the real Nexus card. This allows me to come and go to America. It gives me access so that I can connect with you. Don't believe me? Does that say Nexus? Who's the handsome dude on that? Thank you very much. So somehow today, the Holy Spirit, we're going to go to communion in a little while. And I have a prophetic act to do before communion. The Holy Spirit is wanting to create a Nexus. Now I did not know till I got the schedule that the name of the young adult ministry was Nexus. But the Lord said to me that I'm going to raise the level of trust amongst the people, person to person, 
family to family and people towards leaders and leaders towards people. In other words, I think you could prepare yourself, your heart, if you're ready for the working of a miracle. A relational miracle. You're not bad people. This isn't what God was saying. He was saying, it's the next level for you. You've had a good past. Thank you very much. You're in their present. But what does he have for your future? And I tell you, I, I see in my spirit an offense-free zone. I see in my spirit uh, the depth of a love that produces a trust that we literally can do what the Word of God says. Love always trusts. So Sharon and I have been friends for 44 years, married 40 years. But I'm here today because not only does she love me, she trusts me. That's weighty to me. The heart of my wife trusts me. Do you know what that does for me as a man? To know that my wife trusts me. We live in an age of broken trust. Serving in the house of God all for four decades. People say, Pastor, I love you. Pastor, I love you. And I'd look back at them and say, do you trust me? Much of our love does not engage always trust. And I'm not talking about trust, trusting trust, untrustworthy people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what the Word says. About God bringing us to a place. I don't think the church has yet seen what can happen when there is a mutual trusting relationship amongst everyone in the body and between leaders and the people and the people and the leaders. I'm sure that you guys love Jade, your overseeing leader, an under-shepherd in this house to the great shepherd. I'm sure you love Christy. I'm sure you love your team. Question is, do you trust them? You can say, I'm not sure. That's fine. It's a beauty about preaching a message. Sometimes we need to have a response. Sometimes there doesn't need to be a response. We need to take it away and process it. Because this is the working of a miracle. Because he's got something in store for you. I have no idea what it is. But it's like the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to create a nexus. And I have that card all the time. I'm passing through customs all the time. That means America has my fingerprints. It has my eyes. It, what else does it have? It has my, it has everything. <laughs> Knows how much I weigh, how tall I am, the color of my eyes. It has my eye scanned, my fingerprints on both hands. Just so I could connect with you better. Nexus. And I had to really weigh out, am I going to give away this information? Right? Because I believe they gave us this card in exchange for information. That's what me thinks. That's my secret service insight. I'm telling a joke. <laughs> but they got all that information. They got all that thing on board. And it says here, it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Can somebody say it always perseveres? That means it never gives up. 
Wow. The divorce rate in our cities, our towns, and the church means at some point in a covenant, that a covenant has been breached. Words have been broken. And what has happened here as what the scripture says is love has stopped persevering. Now there may be reasons for that. I understand that. At the same time, what I'm speaking about today, I'm saying about those of us that are five-fold ministers or consider ourselves to be involved in ministry at any time, we have no privilege to abuse the people of God on a, under any circumstances. I thought there would be a good amen there. There's no, there's, we, have, we have no permission to do that. I'll tell you why. One day, those of us that teach the Word of God, we have a stiffer judgment than you do. Do we understand that, servants of the Lord? Spouses, we have a stiffer judgment ahead. So I consider that as I lead in ministry. Those who teach the Word of God will receive a stiffer judgment. So don't worry about me, because I'm going to get it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because one day i got to give an account. And the difference between you, the people, and your leader is this, is you will never give account for Jade in the presence of God. But he will give account for you. And that's the lines of separation. And I don't know what that does for you, but I know what it does to me when I was a part of a congregation. It meant that I wanted to work in a right relationship with everybody that's in leadership. And if we had our difficulties, if we had our deferences, if we had our misunderstandings, then we sit down. Is it okay, bud? We sit down. Look at that. That's an open face. Come on up here. This, now, that's a big face. Look at that. It's turning right, starts right here and goes right to here, right? But it's like this. This is face-to-face, face-to-face talking. Come on. What do you think? Anybody frightened? Well, you know, after the service today, some people are going to have to go and make some things right. Because we're walking with offense. Maybe, wife, you're going to have to take your husband's cheek and say, Bill, what you did last week offended me and I've allowed it to go inside of me and I, I don't even want to be with you. I don't want you to touch me. That's how practical offense works. Is that not true? But God's looking for face-to-face encounters between men and women. So literally, that our love will not be easily angered, keep no records of wrong. You know, and as a pastor, I have to live that because I'm always offending people. I don't plan it. I don't go, I'm just going to go out there today and I'm just going to offend everybody. Right? You never plan to offend your husband, do you? No, you never do. There you go. You'd never, never plan to offend your wife, would you? But what happens when it does? Do you enjoy saying, I'm sorry? Tell the truth. Yeah. No one enjoys telling their story. Right, come on. Come on, Tommy. Have you ever offended your husband? You ever had to ask him for forgiveness? <laughs> it's not always easy at first, is it? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's because you've practiced it quite a bit, I think, or something. You're like, you and I are the same. The reason I can preach is because I've had to practice it a lot. You know, 
you've never had to do this either, David, have you? No. <laughs> so Jade and I are building a trusting relationship. Correct, sir? When he came to our house, I felt an unusual connection with your leader. And he said to me, we need to get together sometime. So I don't know whether people tell the truth or not when they say that. So I said to him, you know, well, well I'm in Denver two or three times a year. Can we have coffee or play golf or something? Sure. And that's how I'm here. Because he said, we need to get together sometime. So we come down here, I said, is there anything I can do to serve you? I don't know anything about you. So today I'm serving you with a word from the Lord. I bring to you today that the Father is saying to you, his saints and his bride, love always, trust. And I believe that, uh, I believe that, uh, let me just go on quickly here. I believe that this must be mutually understood and given. Nothing can be demanded. I ask yourself the question, as Paul as a leader, how did he see himself? He saw himself least, less than the least of all the saints. He saw himself that he was what he was by the grace of God. He recognized that he had to die daily. He recognized that he was crucified with Christ. This is the work that's supposed to go on in people like myself. And hopefully everyone else that reads the word of God. We are what we are, but by the grace of God. Is that true? Do we all die daily? Could you imagine what that would do to creating an offense-free zone? Because it's that which has not been put to death is, is what is offended. What it goes on, it says here, I believe that the Lord said to me to say to you, apostolic entrustment is the key to your future. Not blind loyalty, not worship, but honor expressed verbally and in practical ways. What was Paul's value of that which had been entrusted to him? Number one, he said, So then men ought always to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the secret things of God. So he's saying something to the people of God that there is a difference between the people and the leader. And it's the leader that God usually speaks through to help the people to get to where they want to go. And Paul was befuddled by, he said, God, I can't believe that you would entrust me with secret things. And so what did he do with the secret thing? He wrote them down for us so that we could understand the secret things of God. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 9 and 17. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am sim simply discharging, discharging the trust that is committed to me. In other words, he said, the privilege of preaching the word of God is an entrustment given by God to men and women. Isn't that amazing? So how do I feel about the, when I stand up in front and say it's a privilege to preach, I'm not talking through the side of my mouth. I'm recognized that I'm carrying today an entrustment. He shared something with me to share with you that I really know nothing about other than to say he wants to deepen the levels of trust in the house of Antioch. Does that bear witness with anybody in the room? So if it bears witness that something's going to happen as a result of it, then he says this, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he too is to be blameless. So where's the pressure? Do you realize that as, a, as an elder in the house of God, I'm supposed to live a blameless life? 
Come on. Do you realize? So why do you think we need you? We need you to help us. We can't accomplish what needs to be accomplished without the people. Jay, could you help me with an amen on that? I can't hear you. We, we can't do what God has asked us to do without you, the people. Can you say, we the people? Can you, we the people? You know what, if God can create a transaction here today, that you'll see your need of us as much as we will see our need of you, then there will be a nexus created in the Spirit and a connection by the Holy Spirit that will cause you to come together and to take territory and he will enlarge your borders because he's looking for a people that he can trust. Apostolic community, when we're building that, let me skip on. You want to build a lot of life groups in this place. How are life groups built? They have to be built on trust. There's no other way. Every, every staff member that comes to be a part of this, every son that is, merges and becomes a part of an eldership in this house, it's all built on trust. I'm sure there's a lot of love going on, but it's the love that always trusts. Is that not true? There are times in my journey when I didn't feel I could trust my senior pastor. And I had to get on my face and wrestle it to the ground. I literally had to say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And there's things that, that I've shared with some of your, the intimate staff here that I don't share publicly. But stuff that, because, because you're on a, a part of a team doesn't mean you stop perceiving. You stop, God doesn't just talk to one person in a body. He talks to the whole body, doesn't he? He's a prophetic spirit. He speaks, he speaks to all of us. We're all to hear his voice. Is that not true? And so there's times that I've, I've died a thousand deaths knowing that I need to talk to somebody about something. Here's the one. I carry this thing in me that recognizes marriages, the couples that should be together and should not be together. And oh, it's caused me a lot of pain. So I came to a place in ministry, I stopped. As I've discovered as a shepherd, most people in the body do not want to be protected. And especially women. It's the worst thing a woman can ever desire, not be willing to hear. The shepherds are to protect the flock of God. Sometimes we see things from our vantage point that you may not see. And I never come and lord it over anybody, but I sit down. And now I sit down with the parents first and I say, I believe the Lord has spoken to me about your son or your daughter. May I open up my heart to you. I don't even go to the couple anymore. I go to their authority and tell them what I'm feeling and what I'm sensing and what I'm, and I could be wrong, but Usually not because it's driving me, it's pushing me. I, I can't get away from it. So I wake up with it. I go to bed with it. And until I deliver it, it's like it haunts me in a good way. And I remember going to a man in our last church and I, I said to his, I said to his, I said, can I have lunch with you downtown? So I sat down. I said, can I talk to you man to man, face to face, heart to heart? I said, you know I love your children. Yeah, pastor, I know that. 
I said, I really love your daughter. She's a sweetheart. She's like, like I love people, right? So I love the congregate. I love the people. And I love this girl. And she's a wonderful, she's, she's a beautiful girl, but she's, she's just committed to Christ. She's committed to the purposes of God. And I say, I, I, I'm not sure. So I always go this way. I'm not sure. I think I heard something from God. But you know that man that she brought here last weekend that she tells you that he's to be her husband? I don't think he's supposed to be. And he said, are, are you sure? I said, no. <laughs> That's the prophetic part we see in part. I'm not going to be dogmatic. Even this message, I'm seeing in part. Can you handle that? No scolding. I'm seeing in part. Holy Spirit will unpack the rest. And he says, so I say to the father, he said, are you sure, Ken? I said, no, not sure. But I can't get away from it. But I said, as soon as she introduced them to me last week, my spirit said, oh, no. Where did that come from? Tall, handsome. Not only that, he's training for the ministry. He's a fourth-year student in a Bible college in America. And here's the shepherd of this girl saying, I'm, I'm getting this thing, but again, this isn't to be. So I went to her authority. It's called learning. And I shared my heart. I don't think he ate a thing that we ordered. We should have just gone for coffee. It would have been cheaper. <laughs> and he said, will you pray for me? I said, yep. And I said, she chooses him? No problem. But somehow I believe that that young man has something that is hidden that will destroy your daughter. And you've invested 25 years into her and I've invested a lot into her. And so has the body of Christ. Am I a know-it-all? Absolutely not. I see in part. But I operate in that part. Do you understand? And so, so anyways, he said, well, will you talk to my daughter? I said, yeah, you talk to your wife and bless me and give me permission. So now I'm tracking under authority, right? And so I come, she comes to the service. We sit down after Sunday morning service. And I look at her and said, hey, can I talk to you about something? So I did. Whoa. She saw green, gray, purple. She turned red, teeth gritted. How do you know? And I'm going, I don't. I see in part. And I prophesy in part. But, let me call her Sue, but Sue, something's not right, and I don't know what it is. Then, can you trust me? I don't care if you love me. You trust me. Talking about covenant, life, children, offspring, generation. We're, we're talking about a lot of stuff at one time. And the shepherd in me rose up to protect the flock of God. Do you, you understand that? Doesn't matter what aspect of fivefold ministry you are. Every fivefold ministry must have a shepherd's heart. Prophets without shepherd's heart, keep your head up. 
Evangelists the same way. Teachers the same way. Then the people will be used because the shepherd's heart must dictate to everything we are and everything we do. And then the gifts flow out of that because he is a chief shepherd, correct? The chief shepherd gave those gifts to men. And she just looked at me and then she starts sobbing. So I just put my arm around her and I said, can I pray with you? And I just said, Lord Jesus, I hope I haven't blown this one. Come on, I got clay feet. But Father, in the name of Jesus, guess what? I release her. I'm supposed to go out for dinner, but I don't go for dinner. I drive right home because I've just bore my heart Sunday morning several times already, Saturday night, and I'm talking to this about a, a very important thing, and I don't know what to do. Within 90 minutes, one of her intercessors in our body, who she'd asked to be an intercessor, called her up. Said, could you please come over to my home this afternoon? So she went over. She called her by name. She said, Sue, I don't know who this man is that you brought here, but you, you're to have nothing to do with him. Do you know how bad I needed that confirmation? <laughs> See, if the Holy Spirit says go up a tree, you go up the tree. If the Holy Spirit says go out on a limb, you go out on a limb. If the Holy Spirit says, while out on the limb, cut the limb off, you cut the limb off and watch the tree fall. <laughs> Says, so you know what the Holy Spirit's asking you to do? Risk. So as a servant, I've come amongst you, not really knowing you well, but hopefully you can see my heart. I'm risking this morning for the sake of your future. Hmm. And me thinks it's really good.